Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. A writer whose work I've admired for many years is, is that of James Houston, whose books and screenplays uh, have sort of filled us with information about who we are as ourselves, as Californians. And he has a new book out published by Grey Wolf Press called The Men in My Life, Essays About Men Who Have Been Important to Him. We please welcome from Santa Cruz writer James Houston to West Coast Live. Thank you very much for being here. Hey, it's my pleasure. The, uh, describe a bit about uh, Santa Cruz as a, as a place, as a state of mind. How long have you been there? <laughs> How much time do we have? Um, I've been living in Santa Cruz uh, for 32 years. Uh, so that makes me uh, a veteran. Uh, most people have only been there, you know, seven, eight, ten years. Um, uh, the, the town has changed enormously in that time, uh, especially since the earthquake. Uh, and yet there are a lot of things about it that, that haven't changed. Uh, the thing that I've always liked about Santa Cruz is that the people who move there uh, still tend to, to move there and locate there because of the, the place itself, the attractions of the place. People don't tend to move to Santa Cruz for professional advantage. Um, <laughs> they'll still move to LA for professional advantage, you know. Or San Francisco, you'll, you, uh, San Francisco is the place you would come to for professional advantage. But Santa Cruz, people live there, but they uh, very often they'll work over in, in Santa Clara Valley. And, uh, and make the commute uh, and endure the commute because the place still has, uh, has so many uh, attractions. Right there on the ocean in the, in the redwoods. Uh, but your, your route to California was securitous. It included uh, time in Texas. Well, I was born right here in San Francisco. My father's route to California was circuitous. Uh, he came out here from Texas in the early 30s. Um, and. Uh, sort of flushed out of the dust bowl along with all those other people who, uh, who were trying to survive um, and, and couldn't quite make it back in, in Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, but I grew up here in San Francisco. This is my home region. And uh, so I went from San Francisco to Santa Clara Valley to Santa Cruz. So I haven't gone very far. <laughs> but from time to time, you've been to Texas. I was, uh, it, my, my family, you want to talk about Texas, don't you? Um, I <laughs> Uh, it was my family's idea that I should get to know the homeland. Um, so I was sent back to Texas uh, in the way... <laughs> uh, uh, in fact, I wrote it. There's a story in The Men in My Life about my, my one year in Texas. I had, I had a football scholarship at Abilene Christian College. I wasn't a particularly good uh, football player, but my family had connections <laughs> in, in Abilene and knew the coach, and the coach arranged to get me a scholarship. And uh, there's a story in the book about, um, uh, about that year in Texas and, and how, diff how, how much I disliked playing football. Um, but I was sort of culturally pressured into it. And so I arranged to get myself kicked off the football team uh, in order not to have to do that. When I was, you know, when I was uh, growing up, uh, the curse of being too small uh, was that you could not go out for football. Uh, and the curse of being my size, six foot two, 195, is that you had to go out for football. Uh, otherwise, your whole manhood would be thrown into doubt. 
And, uh, and I wanted to write a story about that. And so it's about football, it's about Texas. And I called the story Prune Picker, uh, which is a, a, a term that's lost on a lot of people nowadays. But I grew up in Santa Clara Valley. Um, after, we, after we left San Francisco, we moved down to Sa Santa Clara Valley when there were still six million uh, fruit trees in Santa Clara Valley. Which is now known as Silicon Valley. Now known as Silicon Valley. Um, I make a distinction between Santa Clara Valley and, and Silicon Valley. Santa Clara Valley is a region of the earth. Silicon Valley is a region of the mind. And they're very, they're only about eight feet apart. <laughs> but when I was in high school down there, there were still six million fruit trees. So what you did when you were uh, in the summertime, uh, now all my kids, and when they were going to high school, they had to go to work at Denny's or someplace over in Santa Cruz in these service jobs. But when I was in high school, you went to work in the, uh, you, you picked fruit or you worked in the canneries or you, cut apricots, that sort of thing. So one of my earliest jobs was actually uh, picking prunes, which is the grubbiest kind of fruit picking because what you do is you shake the trees with these big long forked sticks so all the prune, the prune plums fall into the, into the dirt and then you scrabble around on your hands and knees and scoop up the prunes and put them in boxes. Um, and uh, so being a prune picker was, uh, was a term of derision. And uh, I wrote about that in the story. When I went back to Texas and, I, and to play football, everybody called me a prune picker because I was from California. And it's one big, mean-spirited, defensive tackle who I write about in this story made it clear to me one day. He said, uh, he said, you know, there's only two kinds of people from California. There's prune pickers and there's movie stars. And I know you're not a movie star because they always wear dark glasses. <laughs> now I think even prune pickers wear dark glasses. I can't tell them apart. The, this, the story is, is one of a collection uh, called The Men in My Life, which is a, a provocative title. I mean, it's a title that, that a woman, say, might use. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but it's a title that, that you choose to use to describe men who have been very important, I don't know, as, as, as role models or mentors, as companions, as correctors somewhere in your life? Yeah, I wanted to, uh, when I was putting this uh, the collection together, my idea was to, uh, to write a, a group of stories that would pay tribute to a wide range of men that had, had an impact on me over the years. Uh, sometimes the influence, well, all the influences were, were uh, instructive. Like this, this in, in the story Prune Picker, this defensive tackle uh, is a real mean, tough Texas football player. And, uh, and I came up against him when I was about 17 years old and it changed my view of sport. Um, <laughs> uh, so that he was one of the men in my life. But uh, my father is in here two or three times and a couple of my uncles and my grandfather and my wife's father uh, who was from Japan. And he was the first man that I had ever met from Asia and he was really an important man in my life. He opened, he opened a window, uh, helped me see across a cultural border for the first time. Uh, so so a, a, lot of the, a lot of the men are relatives, but uh, some of them are well, like fraternity. I, I, in my, sh my short-lived and, and often regretted uh, uh, attempt to join a fraternity, um, uh, I, I met a lot of a lot of fellows that I was associated with in, in one of these another kind of classic male ritual period. You know, there are all these rituals that you grow up with in this society, 
um, that are sometimes forced upon you, sometimes you accept, but pledging a fraternity seemed to be another one of these moments when you, when you enter a kind of world of male companionship. You know, you're tested, you have an initiation right, and then you're somehow more manly if you survive. Um, my, in my experience, the, this whole ritual, which, which you find all around the world, had deteriorated to a really sadomasochistic evening called Hell Night. Um, but I wanted to write about that because these guys ended up being important men in my life. And uh, so fraternity brothers are in here, football coaches are in here, guys I knew in the Air Force are in here. Has your view of what's manly changed from the time you were 17 to, to now? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, enormously, because I, well, back then, I accepted the idea that you had to go out for football. You know, I didn't have enough experience to, to challenge that uh, or the wisdom to think it through. You just go ahead and do it. I'm, uh, all my uncles and relatives, my, my older uh, mentors, uh, thought it was a great thing to be doing, so I just went ahead and did it. Um, but, you know, you, you, have, you, go, you, you pass through these things. You, you, you get the experience. You find out what it actually feels like. Uh, and then you, then you can begin to decide for yourself. It's hard to decide ahead of time until you go out and do it. How would you advise a, a, a son or a daughter uh, on, on what a man is? On what a man is? Yeah. I mean, you've had the experience of, of these several men in your life, and your sense of, of what's considered valuable or manly has evolved. Uh, I mean, how would you pass that information on yourself? Well, a lot of it has to do with... Um, certain level of responsibility, but re being responsibility, being responsible for, for your actions and, and being thoughtful about your actions and, uh, and getting in touch with your, uh, with your, with your feelings, with your, with your deepest level of feelings and, uh, uh, and emotional knowledge about what's really going on uh, in any given situation. You know, to just put that out there as a, uh, as a goal, as a value, not that it's easy to do, uh, but that it's possible to do, uh, and that we should, you know, put it, put a lot of attention on that. I'd like to hear the uh, the opening story from this book, which describes uh, a man coming to terms with his work uh, <laughs> in in a way that uh, may achieve some of that. Well, <laughs> I got to tell you, it's, um, a lot of these stories are about my relatives, but some of them are just about fellows that I've known uh, around Santa Cruz. Uh, my barber is in here. He's one of the men in my life. Um, and uh, my plumber is in here. Uh, without my plumber, we would have all floated away long ago. Uh, so I wanted to pay a tribute to my plumber. Um, and uh, the, the, the book starts with this short prologue called, called The Hip Plumber. Uh, this fellow uh, came over to my house. I was having trouble with my sink one day. The, the, the sink drain had, had plugged up. And I called, I called this guy over, and he, we were both under the sink together, and he, he took this as an occasion to share with me his, his worldview. <laughs> and, and so <laughs> uh, it turned out to be a little prologue to, it's, it's actually just a sort of uh, sketch. It's not really a story. It's more like a character sketch in monologue. Most of the pieces are longer stories, but um, Sedge has... Um, this is a request from Sedge to read this, so here goes. The, the Hip Plumber, a prologue. The hip plumber is underneath my sink, squeezed in between the flung-wide cabinet doors, working with his wrench to unscrew the trap 
so he can unplug the drain. Did I say the wrong thing? No, the drain was just unplugging. <laughs> I like that. Sometimes, he says, when I'm up under here all by myself in the shadows with the pipes and the smells, I think, what the hell am I doing in a situation like this? And then I just relax and I say to myself, it's okay. It's okay to be here. This is where I'm supposed to be. If I wasn't supposed to be here, I wouldn't be here. You know what I mean? <laughs> what I'm saying is I surrender to that place and that time, and then I'm at peace with it. I become one with it. Hand me that flashlight now so I can see what the hell is in here. <laughs> I hand him the flash, and he peers around at the stuccoed underbelly of the sink, the chalky corrosion stains. I don't take any of this seriously, he says. I mean, it has to be fun. I have to enjoy it. I go out on one of these big jobs where some contractor calls me in to do the whole kitchen and bathroom, and these other guys out there, the roofers, the sheetrock guys, they're glum. They're walking around doing what they do, but they can't wait for the day to end. And me, I'm singing, I'm smiling. They say, hey, you don't have any right to smile doing this kind of donkey work. In their view, see, anybody who smiles must not know what he's got himself into. They think something is wrong with me because I really do enjoy what I'm doing. But hey, it's all one, isn't it? Work is worship. That's what I tell them out there on the big construction jobs. I say, work is worship. They just look at me. <laughs> now he has the pipes loose, and he is feeding the snake cable down into the long drain a few inches at a time, feeding, cranking the spool handle ferociously, then feeding a few more inches of cable. You see, I am just a puppet. This came to me nine years ago. I saw that what I had to do was surrender myself to whatever you want to call it, God, Brahman, the great force, the oversoul, you name it. I call it God, but you know what I mean. You surrender to it. You are a puppet, and it works through you. Each morning, I wake up and I think to myself, okay, what is important? Feel good. That is the first thing. Then share it. Share what you feel and surrender to whatever comes your way. Look at this snake. You know what it's doing? It's flopping around down there at the bottom of your pipe where all the gunk has accumulated. There was nothing wrong with your drain pipe, by the way, although I might re-plumb this trap for you one of these days if you're into that. You have about a 10-inch loop here, and all you need is four. Otherwise, you have water standing on both sides of 10 inches, plus these two extra fittings you don't really need. Who installed this stuff, anyhow? <laughs> I tell him it came with the house. He inspects the loop his eyes wide in the half dark. He shifts his position. He gives the handle another crank with another smile, the fun lover's grin, playful, a prankster. What I'm saying is the drain pipe is innocent. The drain just does what it has to do, which is be a pipe for the water. And the water does what it has to do, which is swirl as it descends, so that over the years, it coats the inside of the pipe with all the little pieces of stuff that come down out of the sink. And this makes a kind of donut inside the pipe, a donut with a hole through the middle that gets a little bit smaller year by year. The donut gets bigger, and the hole gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it is down to a very fine point. 
which is just like meditation, you see. But then one day, bip, the little hole closes, the drain stops draining, and the snake goes down there and opens it up like the kundalini snake of breakthrough perception, and whammo, a channel is cleared and the water is flowing again. <laughs> James Houston, <laughs> prologue to the, uh, the Men in My Life. Very, a character sketch or not, very funny. Thank you. Very, Thank and you. very sweet. Thank you. Thank you. And it's true. Um, all the story, the subtitle to this book, it's called The Men in My Life and Other More or Less True Recollections of Kinship. So in writing for you, is there an equivalent of the snake that, that, that brings you to that kundalini of perception? Oh, yes. Always. Always, you go into the dark night of the soul and you come out uh, illuminated and, and uh, <coughs> refreshed. So what, what is, for you, for as a writer, what, when does it go bip and you know that things are closed? <laughs> uh, just about every day. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, there's a kind of daily process of, of forgetting and remembering you know, uh, and, and, and there's this longer, longer arc of getting involved in a piece of writing and uh, um, kind of losing your way. Um, uh, William Styron described writing a novel as beginning to crawl across Siberia on your hands and knees. Um, you're, really, you're really vulnerable and uh, there's, a, there's, if you're really writing, I think, writing uh, in a way that's challenging, you're, you're always entering unknown territory. Uh, you're always trying to get at the mystery of something that you think somehow will be solved in the process of exploring it with words. So there's always that exploration, there's trial and error, there's forgetting what you're doing and remembering and proceeding, refinding your way. And, and you smile at your work? You laugh? <clears throat> Do I laugh? Yeah, like the plumber. <laughs> at, the, at the absurdity of this enterprise? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I think, I think you have to keep your sense of humor about what you're doing, my goodness, yeah. yeah. James Houston's other books include Love Life, Gasoline, Continental Drift, A Native Son of the Golden West, Between Battles, and uh, the essays are uh, published by Grey Wolf. James Houston, thank you very much for being a guest on West Coast Live. Thanks for inviting me, I appreciate it. Come back again. I hope I can. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Joe. Thank you. James Houston. This is Edge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.